Hey guys, my name's Kaleem. I'm a sustainable growth evangelist, and I met Pablo through the Peak Community, a community for marketers who want to get 1% better every week. And the future of business development is community development. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, In my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that, I can learn from him. This means every single person you've ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person and therefore has something to teach you and you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every room full of people you walk into is both a library and your stage. And the better you get at getting to know people, the value they each inherently bring, and how to share it with others, the greater the impact you can make on the world. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I've created a system called the Relationship Flywheel, designed to create impact through relationships at scale. And this podcast is a living document of how to do it. So hit subscribe right now. If you want to learn how to get to know people, get them to know you, and build a world-class network. Some episodes will be interviews, some episodes will be regular calls with people building rapport, and some will be tactical advice to teach you how to build your own relationship flywheel and achieve anything you want. Now smash that subscribe button and let's get connected. Welcome back to the Chief Executive Connector Podcast. I am Pablo Gonzalez, your host and Chief Executive Connector. I'm super pumped for today's episode. Got my new buddy, Kaleem All with us, who is a sustainable growth evangelist and designer of sustainable growth ops. Everybody, you, you know I love sustainability, man. So like I, I love, I love that that's the that's the angle that you take things on because I believe in, in sustainability and everything. And Kaleem, man. I, after talking to you, it became really clear to me that A, you're a super forward thinking guy as far as business models. And more importantly, you have this superpower to take ideas and simplify them, man. So like this, this podcast, I, I want to showcase just in exactly how smart you are and all the things that you believe, man, but it's going to be a little bit different. And this is going to be like me on the couch and you being my therapist, bro. You ready for this? I love that. I love that. Thanks, Pablo. <laughs> yeah, man. Happy to, happy to have you on here, buddy. I'm happy we connect, man. So, how did? Why don't we? Why don't we tell our our friend that's that's listening to us right now in her ear? What? A, how? How? How did you and me connect? Yeah. So, as some of some of you might know, I'm part of a, a marketing community called Peak, and that's for high level marketers who want to get one percent better every week and grow in their career and make an impact. And you know, I I started in this community a year ago. And recently, the last couple months, Pablo came in. I'm not sure who invited you originally. Who was that? Dude, I came in from the, you hosted a category design call with Lockhead and Maney ah. and, the, and the category design guys. And as you know, I'm a category design kind of like nerd and fanatic. So that got my attention. And the moment that I saw what was going on, I was like, I want in on this community. Yeah, that was a great event. Great event. Yeah, so- I mean, immediately when you came in, I could feel it immediately. I know the kind of behaviors of somebody who's in there to get the value and give the value, both, right? Yeah. Get yeah. by giving, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I could see by the way you were engaging, you're already setting up 
conversations and collaborations, right? And so, you know, this is the game that allows you to get the most from peak. I even made a model of it, right? As Um, you do. Yes. Welcome, inform, converse, collaborate, transform, and replicate, right? So, you know, I saw you were doing those things immediately when you got in there and I gravitate towards that type of a thing. Yeah, man. And I, and, and I saw it in you as, so one of the things I didn't say in the intro is this idea that you and I are both like really seeped in this idea of community creation for business development. And as kind of, you're like a formal host of the, of, of the peak community of which it was very clear to me that what seeing you comment on every single post in there and like hit a like and, and, and comment, I'm like, man, this guy Kalim is just showing up in such a great way. And it's such a low friction way to just pop into people's radar screens, right? Like I extrapolate this to social media. It's just like he who hits, he or she who hits the most likes and makes the most comments on people's, on people's posts wins, right? Because at the end of the day, man, relationships are all about being top of mind and being present in people's lives. And, and these like digital communities, the social media game has made it really scalable to do and not really even scalable, really frictionless to do, man. I would love to, I would love to hear from you kind of Outside of obviously our relationship, but like, uh, outside of this, man, what are kind of the things that you have gotten the most out of being part of the peak community? And what are the things that you really love about being in there? Just as a, let's give a little like soundbite here for the team to hear it. Oh man, man, I'm like speechless when it comes to that question. You know, what has the peak community done for me? Well, I mean, let's just focus on, I could focus on a lot of, you know, ROIs. <laughs> but the main one that I would say is it allowed me to be the fly on the wall in candid behind the doors marketing conversations. And that's exactly what I needed to be able to develop a further understanding of how, you know, the average organization is operating these days. What are the words they use for things? I have my own way of thinking about things. But the peak community allowed me to really get so solid on the terminology, on the operations, on the way things work, on the struggles marketers are having, all these things. And that built confidence because I said, oh, wait, oh, yeah, I do. I do have answers for some of these things. Right. And that level of confidence of constantly having this type of support and respect from high level marketers changes the way you think about yourself. Really? Yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more, man. So it's, it's funny. Cause I, I joined to receive that same benefit, right? Like I, I, I joined too, because I'm just like, man, I'm in this, I'm in this marketing game. I've, you know, I've, I'm 40, bro. I've, I've been, I've been in the workforce for 15 plus years, but really specializing in marketing for the last like three. Yeah. And the idea that I could come in and like you said, be a fly on the wall, gain from others through osmosis with low friction. And, and then be able to receive real-time feedback of validation on whether what I'm thinking is crazy or not, <laughs> right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, and it's a couple things. There's some level of validation, and then there's some level of like, this is the confusion that the industry has, and I'm actually right about this. Do you understand? So I get to see both sides of that. I get to see, oh, where do the marketers really have it right? And then I get to see, ah, where are the marketers really confused, you know? And that kind of is a, is a healthy balance, I find, in peak. So great stuff. 
I love it, man. So that being said, you've been connecting with a bajillion marketers. <laughs> you've been rapidly iterating through what you have right, what you have wrong, what they have right, what they have wrong. Talk to me about your, you have this sustainable growth ideology that has a couple of different like growth categories. Can you talk me through that? Yeah. So I'm going to start just by comparing sustainable growth to its less favorable counterpart, <laughs> which is explosive growth. Okay. The difficult part about these two sustainable growth and explosive growth is they're kind of like a square and a rectangle. Sustainable growth is explosive, but explosive growth is not necessarily sustainable. And that is difficult for people, mm. right? Because they kind of look sort of like each other until it's too late. <laughs> right. Yeah. Unless you know the signs, right? So, so, you know, what, what, what is the real difference between explosive growth and sustainable growth. Well, one of those two heavily prioritizes turning strangers into new customers. The other one, which is sustainable growth, heavily prioritizes creating multiplying value for your best existing clients. So one is an outside focus and one is a more interior focus. One of them says, no, we must take care of the family and the friends before we go running around with strangers. The other one says, oh, don't worry. Our family and our friends will never leave us. We can spend all our time with strangers. So the difficulty here is that when you get into this, I call it the acquisition trap, right? This explosive customer acquisition as your main method of revenue growth, right? What ends up happening is that you bring too many people who are not great fits into the community or the business too fast. And nobody knows each other. You don't know your customers. You, you acquired too quickly. Yeah. And now that prevents you from providing multiplying value over time to your best customers. So explosive growth blurs your vision because it throws a bunch of stuff at you and then says, ah, filter through all this, right? So you need to think about growing at a pace where there's a sense of community in the business. People know each other. You know your customers, Right now, obviously, that gets harder and harder and harder as you get to businesses that have more and more scale. Right. I, I love my type of business because it's against scale. It's the opposite. It's big money, less people. Right. SaaS. We deal with SaaS all the time. In fact, I would say most of the people in our community are like SaaS related. Right. And those are high volume businesses. And so the struggles that they have this, the, the trap's even worse for them. It's even worse for them. It's all free trial, get a bunch of volume in, and then start dealing with it, right? So for those, for those businesses, it's really important that they have a way of marketing that slows things down, educates qualifies and creates expectations earlier so that once you get past that initial conversion point, there isn't this miss, this complete misalignment of expectations and you're getting let you're accepting less poor quality or poor fit customers into your business. Right? So the idea is like, okay, if, if we, if we just make sure that we actually know who our best customers are, if we know that and we know what their dangerous opportunities and strengths are, 
It means we're doing a good job. It means we haven't acquired too fast. But if all of a sudden we're in this situation where it's like, oh, we don't actually know who our best customers are and we don't know what their dangers, opportunities, and strengths are. Well, you've been spending time acquiring. That's all you've been doing, clearly. So that's that's the essence of it, right? Listen, man, on a, on a personal level, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like as somebody who's obsessed with making friends, I have been at the my best friend's bachelor party where all of a sudden I make friends with like three other dudes at one of the bars that we're at and I'm hanging out with these three randos for three for an hour while like my seven best friends are over here doing something else, right? Like I and 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 then have been like set aside and be like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Right. <laughs> so like so so I I I get that I get that piece on a personal level. Yeah. I can also imagine, you know, being a being a uh, a funded company where what you're trying to do is reach a certain critical capacity of of users so that you have this like adoption and lower CAC and and you haven't even gotten to the LTV part of it. So you're just really trying to prove market fit. Do you have any examples of either tactics or people that have done this part well, that done the sustainable growth well, had the discipline instead of just chasing the explosive growth and okay. kind of how they did it. Yes. But I just want to preface that with something. Yeah. The VC game destroys sustainable growth. The way they play destroys sustainable growth. So there's a reason why I can't, it's hard to source examples from big VC funded ventures. The sustainable growth examples are going to be flying under the radar, growing sustainably, <laughs> right? Makes sense. And, and, and so there are, so strategic coach, Dan Sullivan, strategic coach, the best entrepreneurial coaching program in the world, in my opinion, to me, they are one of the best examples of a sustainable growth company. They have, they are, they prioritize their team's capability. They know who their ideal client is. And they, they always acquire at a speed where they actually have a sense of community and people know each other, you know, they, during recessions, they say, no, no, the executives don't get bonuses, right? You know, we're not going to fire our people. We're going to cut our own salary this year. In fact, we're going to take no salary this year and we're going to retain every single team member. So when we come out of this thing, we are going to smash. You understand? Yeah. Everyone else is going to be rehiring, retraining, rebuilding relationships because they don't understand sustainable growth. They don't understand that retention, that appreciation, right? But let me talk about a public company, a VC company that's doing a great job battling. And that's HubSpot. HubSpot is in a battle. They are on on the line between explosive and sustainable. And despite all that VC funding, that IPO, which puts a ton of pressure to not play sustainable, they have done certain things that are very, very promising. One thing that you'll notice if you look at their revenue curve is that the explosive segment, the most explosive segment, which is over the last you know four years, right? This has come not because they were just acquiring lots of new customers. That's the, that's the distraction. That's a, that's, that's a byproduct of what they're actually playing. And what they're actually doing is providing multiplying value to their ideal client. So what they did is they layered on to that first existing uh, marketing software that they had. They turned it into a full CRM over time. They added a, a sales hub, a service hub, integrations, and now they have a operations hub, rev- revenue operations hub, right? So they moved from this single functional tool 
to create multiplying value to now you have this bigger tool and it's really designed for a specific type of person, right? So that's the part of their business that is pushing hard in the sustainable direction. They didn't just keep trying to go wide with the same solution. They said, no, we're going to make our product better for our existing customers and new customers will also want that. So I would say strategic coach in the sustainable growth quadrant. And then we have HubSpot in the explosive, but on the verge, they're moving towards the sustainable growth quadrant. Interesting, man. As you describe this, right, I'm thinking about, you know, my biggest client, JWB, they they sell turnkey rental income properties, right? And And this is right now, like, the asset class du jour for investing, right? Like the Wall Street Journal is talking about how like, this is the this is the rental property investing economy. They're crushing it. And this, the work that we're doing for them is really helping them capitalize. But as we're, as I'm trying to prove out my concept more and more, I'm pushing, you know, my clients to like hire more people, right? Like, hey man, hire more, get more, get more sales guys. And he keeps pushing back on me. And finally he sat me and my partner down and he said, you know, man, in 2014, we started doing really, really well, and we hired a bunch of people. And a couple of years later, we had to fire them, and we never want to do that again. So we're we're willing to give up a little bit of sales in order to. We know that the market is cyclical. We know that this this like huge surge that we have of like money coming into this asset class, even though the asset class is still going to be viable, it's just not going to be that much better than every single other asset class as it is right now. And he yeah. sat us down and was just like. The cost of us bringing in two more salespeople, knowing that in three years we might have to lay them off, for our culture and for and for our relationship with our clients, is too much. We don't want to do it. We know that it's coming, and it's irresponsible for us to do that. And the effect we're going to have on these people's lives, right? So, like, that's that's where my head goes, which is which blew my mind when he told me that. Right? Like, Esar and I both our jaws dropped. Like, wow, man, this guy's a he's a saint. Like, you know, but but at the end of the day, they have an unbelievable business, man. So. So I see, I see where you're going. So what is, when you're pushing sustainable growth and you are trying to serve your clients as well as possible in order to grow through them, what have you seen companies do well that allow for them to, to grow based on existing relationships, based on funnels and acquisition and whatever? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, this is newer. Yeah. This is not the way yet. Right? Correct. So, so we're talking about a very, very small percentage uh, yeah. of the market. And the thing that I notice about, first, I'm going to talk about customer success, then I'll talk about marketing. Please. Okay. So first of all, you know, do you have a customer success system that is a, you know, long transformational journey? Or is it a short transactional journey? You get to choose that. Right. And so, you know, when people sell something that's very transactional and they're like, why can't I retain people? It's like, well, because your, your product doesn't retain people. It's not meant to retain people. Like you didn't design a service that was a ongoing thing. Right. So are you putting out just a, a, a kind of short-term result to the marketplace? Or are you saying, no, we only work with clients who want this, you know, amazing transformation over the next three years, five years. So my timelines, when I think of success, I think of three and five years, like Warren Buffett measuring his stocks, because now you're setting up the story, right, for a, a long-term co- you know, collaboration of some sort, right, as opposed to some sort of a transactional thing where they just paid you for a result. Okay. So I guess, I guess what you're saying is that it, it starts in the product and then the experience, right? Like it yes. starts in 
Am I looking to get you in and out? You know, like, yes. so this, this works for a company that wants to align their goals long-term with their customers' goals and have a product to do that with, such as, which I guess is why SaaS is one of these, one of these types of places. They want to stick around for a long time. It makes sense to me that my client as a turnkey rental income property provider, that's going to then manage the, the, the property for a long time sets up that way as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. would imagine, I would imagine that a, a general contractor who wants to do repeat business with the developers and whatever that they're doing is probably going to think of it that way. I would imagine that, you know, it's not so much product. It's mostly, it would be service companies that have some kind of incentive to, to, to do repeat business. This would be the way to go after. You basically have to suggest, Oh, I'm looking for a real relationship. You know, like I'm looking for a long-term real relationship. You, You can't market a short relationship. And expect it, those ones on the back end to be long, right? And that's kind of what happens a lot, you know? So I would say that first part is that product or service experience. Is it transformational and long-term? Mm-hmm. The second part is, do you have a, 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 a real methodology for, of success? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So does your customer success team have a methodology that they take people through that actually helps them get achieve these results, right? Yeah. And then the third thing uh, is, what does your marketing look like? right? Is your marketing persuasion marketing or is it facilitation marketing? Are are you allowing people to buy into something or are you trying to sell something? Are you facilitating community success or are you just trying to let people know they have a problem (laughs) that you think they have, right? Because essentially, right, marketing, this is the, the most misunderstood part about marketing is that marketing is a massive LTV function, a massive LTV function. It's primarily an LTV function in my view. And it's, it's secondary purpose is acquisition is acquisition or multiplication as I call it, right? As a result of, of, of that core, right? Byproduct. So when it comes to marketing, most businesses have a very different before and after. So your customer success team might be great. Your product might be great, yada, 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 so on and so forth. All those things I said before. But if your marketing doesn't let people know exactly how we do this, this is the game we play. This is how we approach things. This is the, the way to succeed. Then when they get to this, they get to the after, they're going to be confused. They're going to be like, wait, I thought this, 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 this. And there's going to be this misalignment that will inevitably cause churn no matter what your customer success team does. And the worst part about that is because those negative results are surfacing later on, customer success usually gets blamed or at least it allows marketing and sales to relinquish themselves of any LTV responsibility. We just acquire it. If someone churns, that's customer success's fault. We don't have any influence on that. That's the confusion, right? In fact, you have the most influence on it because you pick the person. If you're going to get married, the person who picks the person would have the most influence and sets the expectations. Yeah. That's how I look at it, right? Makes sense, man. So to unpack it, because I think that there is a lot of, we've had these conversations, you know, what you are, what you are, what you are pointing to right now is number one, the need for a customer success 
experience department process like that that needs to exist just as just as important as accounting needs to exist right yes. like yes. like you need to be able to track and incentivize customer success and in order to do that marketing needs to be aligned with sales which then needs to be aligned with the customer success and there is a disconnect right now in the business world in general between marketing and sales where marketing is just like say whatever i can to get you in the door Sales is say whatever I can to get you to sleep with me. And customer success is the one that's got to raise the baby. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so for me, when I look at it, I actually think that sales and marketing are much more aligned than they think. I'm going to say that right now. Sales and marketing are much more aligned than they think because they're both caught up in the acquisition trap. They might be have arguments over, ah, this was a better version of the acquisition trap. And this was a worse version of the acquisition trap. But until they both align with customer success, it's going to be kooky, you know? So I think the hardest part for modern organizations, I like to work with smaller companies and and grow those seeds. I, I tend to not try to pick flowers, right? But for these orgs, they come out of an era of sales where that, that sales was the way, you know? And that historical precedence plays itself out in the organizational structure. It plays itself out in who reports to who, right? And so what ends up happening is that they basically are like, you know, marketing's like our little inferior brother who does the same thing as us, but not as good, right? And it shows that they don't understand marketing at all. Second of all, right, you know, marketing doesn't understand marketing (laughs) because they're they're so easily bullied and manipulated by this sales department. You know, how do we prove ourselves to sales? How are we going to prove ourselves to sales? Screw sales. Sorry, <laughs> but this is how I feel. No, this is how I feel because no, the truth is the truth. Enough is enough. Game's up. Game's up. You know, if you want three crappy sales teams, keep doing what organizations are doing. Marketing, the first crappy sales team. We try to get as many leads as possible. Crappy sales. Sales, the second crappy sales team. We try to persuade as many people to buy as possible. And then customer success, the third crappy sales team. We try to persuade people not to leave us. Please don't leave us. Now that's success. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. I mean, you're you're describing an abusive relationship. <laughs> exactly. And it's 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 a polyamorous three-way abusive relationship. And for me, I have seen no other alternative than to simplify that three down to two. Right. And have salespeople have to change that name almost. You understand? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a broken name. The name is broken. The customer doesn't care about sales. The audience doesn't care about sales. They don't care that you're a salesperson. In fact, they don't like your, that you're a salesperson. Yeah, they, know, they know you're a salesperson. It turns them off immediately. Yeah. Right. So the, the, the first thing that you have to do is change your marketing. I'm going to say that because with the right person, you will collaborate until you're successful. You will get through all those humps with the right relationship. Those mediocre fit relationships are the ones where they're always going to ask you to prove something short for them or else I'll leave you, right? So, you know, this is, it, it's relationships. It's just relationships. And that's why I'm able to say all these things, yeah. you know, without ever, you know, having lots of experience in, in, in these big orgs, right? But these relationships are just one-to-ones at scale. Right. So, yeah, I, I think I, I think that the easiest way 
to change things if you're an org coming up. So not these big orgs, they're never going to change. So I don't, I don't attempt to do that, right? But if you're a small bit smaller business and you still have this uh, sense of flexibility and this sense of innovation, right? You still have the option to not have a sales team. You just have marketing and customer success. And you have people who have sales skills, but we don't call them salespeople. There's no sales department. They don't sell, <laughs> right? They build community. So that is the new sales. It is from sales development to community development, right? When I see that you're a, you know, a, a, a community development representative, it feels different. It totally feels different. And your behavior will match that, yep. right? Because so you, could, you could change the name and do the same behavior. It won't work, of course. But if you change the behavior as well, you're going to get 10x results over the next five years from, the, from that small team of salespeople, right? Makes perfect sense to me, man. And the way that you describe it, again, is, is the reason why I've been able to parachute into marketing. This is relationships at scale, man, right? Like this is, to, to me, this idea of, I think, the, I think the terminology of community creation is the future of business development is something I started getting really, really loud about early 2019. And before that, for about two, three years, I was talking about value-driven business development, right? Which at the end of the day is the way that you create relationships is by, is by driving value for people. And I, and I learned it by creating nonprofit young professional groups, right? Like it was just very basic. How do you get people to do stuff that is not in their direct, like that isn't a direct payback without having any direct influence over them, right? Just how do you set all that stuff up of just aligning beneficial values with each other to win long-term, right? Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, I think that it's important for us to have these types of conversations where we really are not straying off of the relationship line. You understand? Yeah. The whole conversation is built around relationship. And, and, and we're like, no, this, this is the law. <laughs> we're going to talk within this boundary that we agree, agreed upon. Right. So, you know, it's very, very, very interesting that our society has sort of separated the rules between relationships and business relationships are over here. And then business is this other thing that we do over here. Right. And I think that's the problem. I think that the culture, you know, in its adolescence has sort of put it in people's heads that there's this thing called business that isn't about relationships. It's about, you know, being smarter than people or being persuasive or no, it's not. It's about creating value. That's it. That's it. You know? 100% man. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I, I couldn't agree more, man. I couldn't agree more. So then tell me about, I've seen the graphics on the Ram engine that yeah. you talk about. Can you describe it for me? Yeah. So basically, you know, let's talk about first, you know, this, the, the concept of the flywheel or the feedback loop, right? Many people have used this over the years. Yeah. HubSpot is, Jim Collins made that common, common, common. It's a feedback loop, right? But HubSpot is the most recent one to, to use it and make their own model with it, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I realized that business was all about relationships. And so I basically said, you know, this is a little bit complex, the sustainable growth thing. 
It's describing these sustainable relationships at scale. It's a little complex to describe in, in a single feedback loop. So I had to make two flywheels, right? One of the flywheels describes your team's capability. The other flywheel describes the retention, appreciation, and multiplication of your ideal client, right? So ideal client growth is the way I would put it, right? And it's the connection between these two flywheels that is the core of sustainable growth. And so what I have done is I connect the two flywheels with a traction belt, a traction belt you'd see on a tractor, right? And to me, that's that relationship represents traction, retaining, appreciating, and multiplying your team's capability, and then retaining, thus retaining, appreciating, and multiplying your ideal client. So the switch really is starting with retention, retention being your first priority. On both, on client on both sides, and employee acquisition. You're matching retention and retention. Retain yeah. capability, retain ideal client, hmm. right? Appreciate the capability, appreciate your ideal client. Mm. multiply the capability, multiply your ideal client and provide multiplying value for them, right? So this is like, it's the core relationship that your business actually exists on, right? But the problem that we, we, we have is that we either, for, we either undervalue our team's capability or we undervalue our ideal client. All our clients are the same, right? And same with the team members. You, your team members aren't all the same. You're going to have some game changers in there. I need to figure that out and set them up for that, right? So I think, you know, the flywheel for, for, you know, HubSpot's flywheel, for example, which is an inbound marketing model, they've now sort of transitioned it into a, you know, a RevOps alignment model, which I, I actually don't like that. I don't think it works well, but I like it as an inbound marketing model. And they start with attracting strangers. That's their starting point. Attract strangers, engage prospects. Delight customers, right? That's good. That's good. There's a looseness to the flywheel, right? So I like to, I like that. I like attracting strangers and engaging prospects. There's nothing wrong with that. However, that model alone, because it's this outside in model, it, it's not enough for it to be a focal point for sustainable growth. It, it will fall apart because it doesn't actually describe anything about your team's capability to provide value. It doesn't actually describe anything specific about out of all these strangers, who's a great fit? How do you do that? How do you find a great fit? It's very general. Create, you know, kind of create value, which is great, right? But the RAM engine is is the is the balance to that where it's the priority really. And then the flywheel is like the complement is the way I would say it. So, so your, your, your top priority is that internal engine, internal capability, ideal client. That's where the cash comes. That's where all the money is guys. And then, you know, the flywheel is that looser outside in kind of attraction that's happening and, and good education and engagement, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not a sustainable growth model. So Understanding that you both have to grow outside in and inside out at the same time to grow sustainably. Yeah, man. I, I love it. I love it. The first, the first place my, my head goes when I hear you describe that is that I think it's getting louder and louder 
that good corporate culture drives growth in a business. And I see that driver of growing a business in the corporate culture as that belt in the Ram engine, right? Like if you have this flywheel of talent development and you have this flywheel of under-promising and over-delivering for clients, right? Like, Like providing good client experiences, that thing that ties it together will lead towards that. You've made a breakthrough, brother. You made a breakthrough. You know what? That traction belt, you can move that belt can move everything. You have one, if you have one lever to pull on that belt, it moves both flywheels and starts the feedback loop. So that belt, you've shown it to me, is company culture. I will write it down. The Ram engine will be changed now. Thank you. There you go, man. That's awesome, dude. I love it. Breakthrough right there. You yeah. understand? Yeah. Right? Because yeah, yeah. what else is going to create that retention and appreciation besides culture? Listen, man, I've, I've seen it, right? Like I, and again, I keep going back to JWB, right? My client. And it's just, you know, we've created a client acquisition flywheel for them. Yeah. And it's worked so well because they have that corporate culture that the, the more that you are showcasing your network within your clientele and the more that overlaps with your company, right? Like the inside and outside people. Yeah. That is a recipe to success directly in proportion to how good your corporate culture is, to how well aligned you are with your mission, vision, and your values, and how much you extol those virtues in every facet of your business. Because if those two things are aligned, if your client acquisition is aligned there and your talent acquisition is aligned and and developed that way, then both things are going to feed each other into this beautiful marriage of community. Beautifully said. Quote that. Quote. <laughs> All right, JP, get me that on a quote card, JP. I appreciate that, buddy. Awesome. Cool, man. All right. Awesome. Wow. That is that is an awesome breakthrough. Cool. I, I'm really glad you explained that to me because I knew there was some magic in that RAM engine and I just wasn't getting it. I needed you to explain it to me. And, and now it makes perfect sense. And I guess it's the reticular activator, right? But I've just been seeing this whole, how a good buddy of mine called me up two days ago and he's like, hey, man are you speaking about corporate culture, right? Because like what you're doing of like showcasing clients and, and employees and and networks and whatever you're doing as, as creating this like bond at scale, shouldn't that be driving corporate culture? And isn't what you're doing an enabler of working remotely and still being able to keep corporate culture? And I'm like, you know, you're right. It is, man. I guess I just, it just hasn't been the, the tent that I've been pitching, right? Like it, it's just been people care more about client acquisition and, and growth so I sell it as a growth engine from client acquisition standpoint, but you know, if, if you can position corporate culture as what drives that client acquisition, now companies are going to care about corporate culture. You know what's interesting? So here's, here's, a, here's the kind of the, the paradox, I would say, or the, yeah, the, the, the difficulty is that you're going to get a better client by not selling them the acquisition, Correct. but you're going to get way less clients. And it's going to be hard at the beginning. Correct. There's going to be this kind of starvation period, not starvation, but difficult times, right? That's what it takes sometimes to stand for the right thing. You know, the right Makes label in this sense is what we're talking about, right? Yeah. It's like almost doing what doesn't get those transactional people. It eliminates them almost. I don't think those transactional people give a crap about culture. They'll never buy from you. And you don't want them to buy from you. 
<laughs> so, because they're going to churn and then they're going to leave you feeling drained, right? So I'm not saying you can't get transformational relationships through that, that position, right? Of course, of course you can, but you have to do more qualifying. Yeah. It's not like a, a, a perfect match for that person who is going to be long-term transformational, right? So yeah, we're getting kind of getting into labeling things now, labeling things, which is hard, very hard, very hard. And I, I also, I don't think it's wrong to include acquisition as one of the benefits of the culture thing, right? But I, I, I like the idea of, of, you know, really hammering the culture and not being afraid, not being like too worried about that. You know, just kind of like stand for what you actually believe and what's, you know, this is the truth. So we have to stand for it. Yeah, man. And, and I, you know, when I, in my speaking points on networking and relationship building, I just call that being a bad signal for the things you want to attract, right? Like, and, and, and it works on a relationship level, right? Like, like, dude, if you use a lot of disposable plastic straws and drink out of a lot of styrofoam cups, you're not going to have a good time around me, man, because I'm a fanatical environmentalist. I really believe in <laughs> sustainability. And every time I see you using it, I'm going to be like, oh, God. You know, but but what happens is most of my circle is sensitive to it to a certain extent. And I have more than one friend that has gone into like buying a reusable water bottle just because they're like, all right, dude, you're making a lot of sense. Okay, that's cool. Right. So I, there's no reason you can't do that as a business. And to your point, at first it's painful, right? Like at first, but, but that is how a flywheel works, right? Like a flywheel at first, it's like you're pushing real hard to get it around one time, but the second time you pull it around, it's easier. And the third time it's easier. And the fourth time it's easier. And by the hundredth turn, it's like spinning off the wheels and you're like generating electricity for a city with it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, yeah, I think that it's very interesting. It's it's just the price that it's the investment that you have to pay for a better engine. It's the investment you have to make for a better engine, right? A more sustainable engine with better mileage on it. Yeah, I like the metaphor of a car, you know? Yeah. It's like at some point you have to get an engine with better gas mileage. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't keep driving forever. You're talking about sustainability. We we need we need efficiency, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, and, and and they talk about how Tesla has the lowest cost of ownership of cars, right? Like even though it's a sixty thousand dollar car, life life cycle lowest cost of ownership, right? Oh wow, yeah, I didn't even know that. That's very interesting. That's a great. That's a great position. That's a great yeah. position. Yeah. So so you know, I thought maybe we would dig into you know your stuff at some point uh, right. on this on this and and talk sort of about we we touched on it a little bit. We yeah. just started brushing it with the sales and the community yeah, yeah. stuff, right? And, and we've talked a little bit about this before, but just maybe it'll be helpful for everyone listening. The key to building your relationship flywheel will rely in your ability to design and build your own stage where you can have conversations with people, getting to know them, understanding their value, and sharing it to the world. This is the service that I offer, and I offer it to $100 million companies where we're setting record-breaking sales goals with it. If you want to know more about that, go to connectwithpablo.com. If you're just an individual that wants to build it, subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my email list on my website because coming soon is a community 
where I'm going to teach this to you personally. Go to connectwithpablo.com.